1: Stoned Paul and left him for dead in Lystra, they continue on. Why? Because the Spirit was leading them. The Holy Spirit was leading them. And in the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, there's no fear. Because we know God is with us. What can man do to us? The Spirit was giving them power. In chapter 15, the Spirit was at work in the Jerusalem Council. We read that. The Spirit used gifted men to stand up and give witness of what the Lord was already doing in the
0: Gentile nation. Peter, Paul, And Barnabas. Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was moving. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach listeners about the powerful guidance that the Holy Spirit brings to believers. Just as he provided comfort and direction to the apostles in Acts, so too does the Holy Spirit want to be your divine helper in life. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he begins his message, The Divine Helper.
1: 16. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10 today, see what kind of uh, things the Lord wants to do. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read them aloud if you want to follow along silently in your Bibles. Acts 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Persia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, They tried to go Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, "'Come over to Macedonia and help us.' Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them." When I'm on the boat, I think of crazy things. I think of strange things. And last time I was on the boat, I was sitting there, and I was watching, enjoying all the such, and all of a sudden I thought, what's guiding this boat? What's making this boat go where it's supposed to go? Now, immediately you may say, the captain or the helmsman, there is what making the boat goes to go where they want it to go. Anybody know what a rudder is? According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, listen to this definition of a rudder. That which causes or governs the course. Pretty cool when you think about that. Have you ever seen a rudder on a large ship or a boat? You might not have ever seen a rudder because guess what? They're usually underwater. You usually can't see them unless they're in dry dock or you pull the boat. It's a very, very small boat. Most people haven't seen them because they're underwater, but rudders manipulate the course of these immense ocean vessels, these these cruise liners, and they steer them. The pilot makes an adjustment and the rudder moves and it steers these boats through the water, steers these furries all the way over the course that's been plotted. Most of the work that the rudder does is never seen by anybody. In fact, when you look down at the end of the boat, What's the end of the boat called? Stern. When you look at the end of the stern, you look down, you see things, but that's from the propellers. You don't usually see the rudder. You don't usually see how it works. The passengers are ignorant of this. Most of the time, you don't know what's working. Yet, when the rudder is in proper working order, it holds more power to the boat and to the ship than anything else when it's in proper working order. The wind blows and tosses to and fro, but the rudder keeps the course straight. There was an interesting headline in the New York Times just last week, very interesting headline. It said, ships without rudders eventually hit the rocks. Very interesting. Ship without rudders eventually hit the rocks. got me thinking. I think differently than a lot of people. The Holy Spirit is like a rudder. The Holy Spirit guides and governs the course of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. Like a rudder, the Holy Spirit cannot be seen. As it works, its work. We don't see the Holy Spirit. We see the results of the Holy Spirit and how it works, but we don't see it. The Holy Spirit has much more power than the rudder on an immense ocean vessel. Much more power. More power than we'll probably ever know. The Holy Spirit guides individuals in the church. It guides the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit will guide us exactly as God has planned and exactly as God has ordered and in the direction that God has planned us to go. The Holy Spirit guides us like that rudder, like ships. The person or church without the Holy Spirit will hit the rocks as well. And you might even founder. Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I envision my life a disaster. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. When Jesus was on the earth, it was he who directed the ministry of the apostles. It was Jesus who said to the apostles, go this way, do this, say that, believe in this. It was Jesus that directed all the activities. But Jesus went home to be with the Father. And what did Jesus tell them? What did Jesus tell them about what was going to happen in John 14, verses 16 through 18? He said, and I will pray and heed the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Again, in John 14, verse 26, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. Holy Spirit brings into remembrance the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings into remembrance God's word to us. He brings that back into remembrance. Have you ever been witnessing to somebody or talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, you quote a scripture that you normally wouldn't quote or that you normally didn't remember? That's the Holy Spirit bringing into remembrance the words of Christ, the words that we need to have. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings those things into remembrance. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will be our guide into all truth. In John 16, verses 13 through 14, listen to what he says. Jesus is speaking, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus becomes the helmsman. And when the helmsman turns the wheel, the rudder moves. Jesus tells the Holy Spirit what to do and how to move. And the Holy Spirit does what he's directed to and declares what he's directed to declare. He will glorify me, Jesus said. He will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. So many times in this day and age, the Holy Spirit in a church is glorifying people. People are claiming that the Holy Spirit is glorifying them as they do these strange and bizarre acts, the Holy Spirit clearly says that he will glorify Jesus. He will glorify Jesus. Jesus tells the apostles to wait for the promise of the Father in Acts 1 verses 4 to 8. We studied this back in September of 2010 when we first started this book of Acts. Jesus said to them, and being assembled together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the disciples to wait. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't go out in your own flesh. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to empower you. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you, and he's going to show you things that you're to do, things that you're to say, places that you're to go to glorify me so that people would know. The Holy Spirit then becomes our divine helper. The Holy Spirit is our divine helper. And that's the title of today's message, The Divine Helper, the Holy Spirit. In his book, Living Water, The Power of the Holy Spirit in Your Life, Pastor Chuck Smith says this about the Holy Spirit and the church. Quote, The church exists today as a result of the Holy Spirit. It was he who gave birth to the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost when he was poured out upon the disciples. Since that day, the Spirit has been at work in the church in a multiple of ways. Without the Spirit in its midst, the church would be nothing more than a social club or service organization. But when the Holy Spirit is given his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. If anything else, That is the lesson the book of Acts should teach, unquote. It is in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit working and directing the early church activities. He's working and directing as the church is being built. He's working and directing as the disciples and the apostles go out and preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. And people are drawn into the kingdom of God. People are drawn into the body of Christ, Christ's church, and the Holy Spirit is leading the way. When we started this study, we said that the name of the book was the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And we also said this book could also be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the main force that's driving everything in this book. It's the main force that is making everything happen. In our studies, the church has had tremendous success. And we've observed how they functioned in unity when they submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Extremely unfortunate at the state of the church sometimes today. How poorly it functions without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. One commentator said this, quote, When the church is not directed or guided by the Holy Spirit, but instead directed by the genius of man and the various committees created, it can quickly become inept and ineffective, unquote. Pastor Chuck makes this observation, quote, if we who are called to lead the church wish to know success and enjoy effectiveness in our ministries, we must strive to be led by the Holy Spirit in everything we do. This is the very thing that the first century church learned in every way, unquote. If we have learned anything from the book of Acts, it should be to trust in the Lord and have faith in, that he will guide and lead us where he wants us to be through his Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the divine helper. Many of us come to me and say, I want to know what the Lord wills for my life. What does the Lord have for me to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm stuck in a quagmire here. I don't know what to move, how to go. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. If we would wait and read God's word, if we would pray, and if we would listen, we might be able to begin to discern what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And there's many, many ways we can do that. And there's many, many ways that we've already seen God's plan for the church. We've witnessed this as we read through the book of Acts. I'm only gonna go back to chapter 13. But it was in chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit led the apostles to separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work I have for them. The Holy Spirit led the apostles to do that. You can find that in Acts 13. I believe it's verse 1 or 2. These men were separated by the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Many believe it was by prophets and teachers who were working at the church. They were teaching the Word of God, and it came out as a word of prophecy, or it came out through God's teaching. They were led because of the teaching of God's Word. And it says in chapter 13, verse 4, "...so being sent out by the Holy Spirit..." They went down to Cicillusia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. One thing that we have to mention here. Many, many, and many of you cry out for God's will, and I believe that God is speaking to you. But when you hear God's voice and he clearly directs you, guess what? You need to move. You need to go in obedience to what God is leading you to do. I'm praying about what God wants me to do. What do you think he said? Well, I believe I'm going to go over here. Well, why don't you go? I need to pray about it a little more. No. When God told the apostles to go and separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work I had for them, guess what? They left. They followed God's commands. When the rudder turns one way, the ship goes that direction and doesn't ask any questions. Likewise, when the Holy Spirit tells us to move and go, we're to go and not ask any questions. We're to go. We studied in Acts 14 how the apostles went out on this missionary journey and how they met with great success and failure. But they always kept their eyes on the Holy Spirit, allowing him to guide them and present opportunities that they could teach and preach Jesus Christ. Even when they stoned Paul and left him for dead in Lystra, they continue on. Why? Because the Spirit was leading them. The Holy Spirit was leading them. And in the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, there's no fear. Because we know God is with us. What can man do to us? The Spirit was giving them power. In chapter 15, the Spirit was at work in the Jerusalem council. We read that. The Spirit used gifted men to stand up and give witness of what the Lord was already doing in the Gentile nation. Peter. Paul and Barnabas. He gave witness of what was going on. And then James, the leader of the church, gets up, being led by the Holy Spirit. He comes up with a solution. How do we know it was from the Lord? Because when they wrote the letter, they quoted, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They were being led by the Holy Spirit. They were being guided by God's Holy Spirit. That's what our lives should look like. Our lives should be look like we're being guided by God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided the acts of the council. We find the Holy Spirit moving in several other ways, too. In Acts 15, verses 32 and 34, the Holy Spirit was leading these guys through personal desires, through personal desires, It says, now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. It was Silas's desire to remain there. It was Silas's desire to stay there. It seemed good to him. The Holy Spirit had placed upon his heart. Why did he stay there? Because he was needed. Paul and Barnabas were going to have an argument. The Lord knew that. The Spirit knew that. The Spirit already picked out Silas to be the next guy. And after Paul and Barnabas' argument, and after they split company, Paul looks around and goes, you, come with me. He picked Silas. And if you go back and read, the church agreed, because the church sends them out gladfully and cheerfully. The church agreed that the, the Holy Spirit was doing John Corson, in his commentary, said this. In the highlands of New Guinea, there is an area where it rains 362 days a year and the frogs spit poison. As of yet, Wycliffe Bible translators have not found someone to go to that region and translate the word of God to the few folks that live there. But Corson says this. But somewhere the Lord is preparing someone who will have a fascination with spitting frogs and rainy weather how do I know this? He says, because in Psalm 37 verse four, it says delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord uses our personal desires to do this. I know this personally. I know this personally in my own life because he's given me my heart's desire two times, two times, which is 300 times more than I deserve. The Lord has given me my heart's desire. Number one, he's made my marriage into what I've always wanted a marriage to be. He's made my marriage into a holy match marriage between my wife and God and I. He's made it a wonderful union. Only he could do that. And number two, he bought me here. The desire of my heart was to teach his word. The desire of my heart to be a shepherd, an under-shepherd with God. But he gave me my heart's desire. I was at a conference. It was for senior pastors only for Calvary Chapel. 1,500 senior pastors from all over the world were there gathered for a conference. And we were being edified. We were being raised up. We were being taught the word of God. And as I came out of the conference one day, they had this great big fountain. And I stood there at the fountain. And I was looking around. And I became overwhelmed. And I began to weep. And my knees buckled. And I thought I was going to fall down. Because I realized God had given me my heart's desire and it was almost too much for me to stand and bear. God knows the desires of your heart. He knows them. And if you delight in him, the scripture says, see, he always comes first. If you delight in him, scripture says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now we know the true heart of a Christian, that our desire is what? More of him. But there's a plan that God has for you that we don't know what it is. He might have some of this plan that might be a desire of yours for a long time. You might have a desire for a certain area of the country. You might have a desire for a certain people, a certain group. They may have always have been your favorite. You've always liked these people or, or liked this area. Maybe God's speaking to you through that desire. I don't know. But I do know He gives you the desires of your heart. So He directs us through personal desires. And in chapter 15 and verses 35 through 36, he directed Paul and Barnabas through their inner feelings towards other people. Yes, your inner feelings towards other people. Barnabas and Paul were sitting around and one day they said, you know what? It's been five years since we started those churches over there on our missionary journey. Let's go back and check out those brothers. Let's see how they're doing. I'm worried about them. I'm concerned for them. God used that. God used that to send out Paul on his second missionary journey, that desire inside to help someone out. It was that concern for their brethren that led them, the Spirit, to guide them on their second missionary journey. There is this fantastic story, fantastic story that I want to share with you. Pastor Chuck wrote about this in several books. You might have even heard the story. He had a dear, dear friend who was in the hospital. So Pastor Chuck goes to the hospital to visit this dear friend. And he sees this guy, and he prays with them because he was concerned about this gentleman, this gentleman's life. He had a life-threatening illness, and Chuck went there and prayed with the man. On his way back, he got in the elevator, and he hit the wrong button by mistake. Hit the wrong button by mistake. It said bottom. He went all the way down to the bottom, which is where the ER was. He walked out of the ER, and there was a lady standing there and went, oh, my goodness, Pastor Chuck, how did you know? how did you know my husband had a massive heart attack? He's in the ER right now. Please, please go pray with him. Why was Pastor Chuck there? He had it on his heart to visit his fellow man. He had it on his heart to be something to someone else. His interpersonal feelings was to give this other guy credit and uh, not credit, but encourage him and pray with him. But the spirit used it in that elevator. He didn't hit the wrong button. The spirit knew exactly where he needed to be. The Spirit sends him to the bottom floor, and this lady from his church is crying out, I didn't know who to call. I didn't know anybody over there. Thank the Lord you're here. Grabs him by the hand, takes him in the room. That's just a coincidence. The Spirit knows your inner desires and your concerns for people. Finally, in Acts 15, verses 37 through 39, the Spirit leads and guides through personal
0: difficulty.
1: You are assured
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has been making his way through the Book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian Church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out assurehoperadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at assurehoperadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on A Sure Hope.